0: Okay, my guess is we have all said it, why me? Um, ever had that situation in your life? Uh, maybe you got a traffic ticket. Um, now, you know uh, that you're speeding, but uh, the people around you were speeding more quickly than you were, so you think to God, why why me? Or, or maybe you've caught the flu, or maybe it's COVID, but your recovery is taking longer, than others you have friends or family that have had the same thing but they seem to already be out of bed back to work back to school you haven't yet recovered and so you think to god why me or maybe you're working on a school paper or you you've got a business project that that's due Uh, your boss said you really need to get on this and so you've been burning the midnight oil uh, maybe putting in some (coughs) late nights for the last three nights you finally got it all typed up it's all ready to print and just as you get ready to hit the print button you get a notice that your hard drive has crashed. And you think, well, you don't think. You probably scream at that point, why me, God? Why me? Well, we're going to talk about that today, but we're going to come at it from a little bit different direction as we continue on in our sermon series on the Gospel of John. If you've got your Bibles, let me invite you. Either to use your Bible, use the Pew Bible in front of you, grab your Bible app, but we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, this week, um, and as you do that, I would remind you uh, the story we're going to be looking at is the story of, of a gentleman who um, found himself in need of God's touch in a, a special physical way. Um, we don't know the name of the man, um, which seems to be the way John does things. Uh, we, uh, we don't uh, know um, exactly what the circumstances that would led him to this place, but we see how God is going to use him um, nonetheless. Our text is going to come out of the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, verses one through nine, John five, one through nine. And again, I encourage you to follow in your own Bibles or you can just uh, follow along with me as it's on the screen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five uh, covered colonnades, a kind of poor uh, patio type of things there. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. One of those who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Uh, as we look at the story of this morning, there's uh, kind of an underlying understanding that um, in this uh, particular era, in this pool of Bethesda, that um, an angel would come down and would stir the water, and the first person in the water after that would be healed. In fact, in some of your Bibles, uh, verse 4 may not even appear in your text. There's um, a little bit of uncertainty because it's not there in the oldest of texts, but it's still, uh, the story still flows uh, even without that piece. And as we look at it, we see, uh, first of all, that we're sort of introduced to this this thing called the Pool of Bethesda, the Pool of Bethesda. We know some things about this pool. We know, for example, that it's located near the Sheep Gate. Um, if you got a little picture here, you can see the pool uh, highlighted there, circled in the upper part. Down below that is the Sheep Gate. And, and if you're unfamiliar, in, in Jerusalem and in the walls surrounding it, there were various gates that would li- lead you into the city that changed over time because the walls would change uh, depending on the era and and who was in charge. But there uh, almost always was a name associated with the different gates. And so you had, uh, for example, the fish gate. That's where the fishmongers would bring in their, uh, their fish to, to trade and to sell. You would have the horse gate where the horsemen would come and sell their horses or, or would be brought in. You have the dung gate, and I'll presume you can figure that one out. Um, and then you'd have the sheep gate. And this was a gate where the sheep typically that were used for sacrifice at the temple, would be ushered in through this particular area. Uh, We know that the pool of Bethesda is near that. We know that the pool was fed by an underwater, freshwater spring. And we know that the word Bethesda uh, is taken from the Hebrew bethesed, which means house of mercy. And isn't it interesting, as you think about it, that we have this man who needs God's mercy. He's going to be touched by the hand of the Lamb of God, who happens to be standing by the sheep gate uh, as they move into this thing that's called uh, mercy as a part of its name in the pool of Bethesda. It's interesting how God pulls things together like that so often. Uh, Now, as uh, scholars have looked at this over time, they've been in pretty much agreement as to what happened and, and where it happened. The only thing they weren't sure about is exactly the location of where this pool was out because they couldn't find it. Uh, despite being able to find lots of other uh, kind of archaeological uh, locations, the Pool of Bethesda was one that eluded them. In fact, it eluded them so long that they began to wonder if maybe this wasn't a true story. Maybe this was just a parable that Jesus taught. But if this was a parable, then what else was a parable? It began to call things into question, and so things were a little bit uncertain until 1888, when a gentleman, an archaeologist named Conrad Schick. Uh, came and found the pool of Bethesda. Uh, one of the things was that was a surprise about this was just um, how large it was. Not the location, we knew it was near the fish gate, but just how big this particular pool was. At one end, it was 42 feet, and this is sort of how it looks today. And we know that from the, the archaeological digging that's been done, that it's at least the size of an Olympic swimming pool. And I say at least because they haven't been able to complete uh, the, the digging there, uh, they went as far as they could. Now it's under the, the Arab quarter uh, of that of that location, and they can't dig archaeologically there. So they know it's at least the size of an Olympic-sized pool. That's a pretty good-sized uh, pond, if you if you think of that. As we think about the story, it says that there was a, a great number of people, a lot of uh, the people that had gathered there. Now, we're not given an exact number, uh, but we know from other texts that uses that that phrase, a great multitude, um, that it typically refers to lots of folks. We see that phrase used in Matthew 15, where it talks about the, the feeding of the four thousand, and that just counts the men, not the women and children who would also have been there. Uh, we see that phrase used in uh, Mark 6, where it talks about the feeding of the five thousand, where again that's just the men. That's not kind of talking about the women and, and children. And so, um, undoubtedly, there were a lot of people around this pool of Bethesda when this. Uh, invalid man was there if not thousands at the least we can presume that there were hundreds that were there and again as we read in the text it tells us that they're all there because they're wanting to be healed they're waiting for the water to stir from uh, this angel coming down touching the water and, and once more it was only the first person in uh, that would be healed Now, uh, we may think that's kind of an unusual way for God to go about healing people, but as you look through Scripture, doesn't God use a variety of different unusual ways to heal folks? If we look to uh, 2 Kings 5, we, we read of a military commander who had contracted leprosy. And so he's told by the prophet Elisha to go to the Jordan River and to dip in the water seven times. And he did, and he was healed. Or we think of the description in Numbers 21 that we looked at just a few weeks ago where uh, the people of Israel, uh, they're in the midst of wanderings of the 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. They continue to be disobedient, and so God allows uh, all of these snakes to come in. They bite the people, and the only way for them to be saved is by looking at this pole that's got the bronze snake at the top. As they look at the snake, uh, they're healed, they did, and they were. Or we think of Jesus in uh, the gospel of John, the ninth chapter. We read an occasion where he's there with a blind man. And as a part of that healing process, he, he spits on the ground and he mixes the saliva with some mud. And he puts the, the mud on the man's eyes, which ultimately leads to healing And so we see that God can work in a variety of different ways to bring about healing. I think it is important as we hear about these stories of healing uh, to be mindful that that there's a difference between things that are prescriptive and descriptive in Scripture. Descriptive things are are things that just sort of describe an isolated event, that it doesn't really set a a pattern uh, for life. Um, We think of of Moses uh, at the Red Sea, uh, you know, holding up his hands and the the water parting. We shouldn't necessarily think if we go to the Red Sea and hold up our hands that the water is going to part like that. Um, prescriptive means those things that, that do set sort of a pattern or a, a model for us. And so we think of Jesus' teachings having to do with the Lord's Supper and how that was instruction for us on, on what we're to do whenever we gather together and acknowledge that. And, and really, that's to our benefit when it comes to healing things. I imagine for a moment that your, your eyesight's starting to fail. I'm starting to get to that point in life where it's not what it used to be. And so it's starting to fade a little bit. And, and I run into you, your sight's going, I run into you out in the parking lot. And I decide to spit in the dirt. And I mix it up a little bit. And I take some mud and offer to put it on your eyes. Uh, you could say to me, Pastor, thanks, uh, but no thanks. Because I really think that that is descriptive rather than prescriptive. Um, We see here that God works in an unusual way. But that's what God's about, doing those things sometimes that are so different than what we would anticipate. And I would take just a side note here to to mention that we are given some instruction in Scripture on how it is that we're to go about healing and praying for people in the church. We read in the book of James, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse, these words. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So we do have a, a, a prescriptive instruction on how we're to, to um, help those that find themselves uh, with ongoing illness. So we have, the, we have the, the pool of Bethesda. Then we move into sort of the car- second character of the story, and that is uh, the disabled man. Now, we don't know exactly what the dis- disability was. We're not told that. But it was something that kept him from being able to get to the pool And imagine what that would be like for 38 years to to be near the edge of the pool. The water stirs and people go around you. They go over you. Maybe they push you to the side, but you're just not able to get there to be that first person. And it's described for us in the sixth verse in, in this way. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Now that may seem a little bit like a crazy question, Who would say, no, I don't want to get well? Why would Jesus have even asked that? But the truth is uh, that there are people who really don't want to get well. They prefer to stay injured or bitter or angry or resentful. And, And I guess I would say it's really not so much that they don't want to be healed. It's that they don't want to be healed enough to make the changes in life or lifestyle that God will be allowed to work in their lives. Sometimes that even involves the big step of inviting Christ into their hearts. And so the story goes on there in the seventh verse with these words. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked and the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And it's this very last sentence that really got Jesus into trouble with the religious leaders of the day. That was the thing that incensed them, is that that Jesus would do something good in God's name on the Sabbath. Can you imagine being upset about that? God did something extraordinary. God did a miracle, but because it was on this day, the leaders were furious. In fact, so furious that Scripture tells us that at this point, they make up in their mind that they're going to have to kill this guy named Jesus. These leaders had become so fixated on the law that for them in their hearts and in in, in their minds, it was much more important to make a point than to make a difference. But that's not true for Jesus. Jesus chose to make a difference in this man's life that not only impacted him then there at at that moment, but I suspect his eternity as well. And as we think about this story and what we see come out of it, there's really kind of two truths I hope that you'll give some thought about and maybe things that you've not thought about before. The first truth is this. The ministry cannot be driven by the plea of human need. It must be directed by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. As you've read the story, and if you've been at church at all, you've probably heard this a time or two before. You may not have pondered the reality that, that Jesus picked one individual out of this crowd. Now, there were hundreds of other people that were there. Were they uh, more faithful to God? Had they been there a shorter period of time? Uh, did they not wave their hand when Jesus walked by? I, I'm not sure what the difference was. But there was only one person that was healed today, which means that there were a lot of individuals who were not and so Jesus had to make a choice on that day, and how did he, did he do that? Well, I think he sensed and looked for God's leading, God's direction in the midst of that. You see, human need is always going to be greater than we have the ability to respond. Now, that shouldn't keep us from doing the best that we can, but it'll always be greater than, than the resources that we have. And so we need to seek God's prompting, God's direction on how best to meet the needs that he would lay on our heart We know from Scripture that when it it comes to individuals that that as we interact with them, some are called to be a planter, some are are called to be those who water, some are called to be those who harvest, and some are to take the harvest and help it to find places to be at work in God's kingdom. But ultimately, where and when and how all of that works is up to God. Then we see that modeled in Jesus' life. In the, the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, we read this, Jesus words, by myself I can do nothing, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Another verse that speaks to this is uh, in the twelfth chapter, for I did not speak of my own on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. You see, we need to sense what it is that God's calling us to be about. Focus on that because that's what God has laid in our heart. And then trust that he will have other things for other people to do. I know that's true for me as a pastor. I count on that in regards to the church. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the book of Acts in the sixth chapter, we're given probably uh, the the best job description that we see for for pastors. Now, there are other places in scripture that talk about what it means to be a godly leader, um, a deacon, uh, an elder, those kinds of things. But in Acts, the sixth chapter, we read where uh, the church in its early days of formation have run into a problem. And the problem is that some of the widows are not giving, being, or not receiving adequate care there uh, among God's people. So the apostles have been the ones that have have been doing that, but it's just wearing them out. It's taken all of their time. And so as a group, the apostles have this to say in the sixth chapter, beginning with the third verse, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So these are godly individuals. These are individuals that that had the ability to discern if this was God, God was calling them to be about. And we, the apostles, will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to, and there's two things that are noted there, prayer and the ministry of the word. What was it that leaders of the church, the apostles, were called to be about? Two things, prayer and ministry of the word, which was probably teaching and preaching. But what about, Pastor, what about all the board meetings? Um, but, but what about all the, the, the committee meetings that, uh, that are out there or the, the council meetings? What about the counseling that needs to take place or, or, or those that, that can help the, 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 the homeless or, or all of the other things that the church is involved with? Who's going to do those things? Well, that's why God has given us the church. That's why we each have a unique skill and ability to be a part of the work of God's kingdom. And God, in his his infinite wisdom, has chosen us corporately to be about the work of the kingdom here on this earth. And Scripture talks about this over and over again. In Ephesians 4, we read, From him, from God, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ. You are the church, and each one of you is a part of it. That same chapter in the 18th verse, it says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And so I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where where so many step into the roles that God has called them to, whether it's Sunday school teacher or part of the leadership or or helping take care of the facility or, or working with kids or whatever it might be. I'm so grateful for those of you that have had had ears to hear and have been available to do those things. But the need is great. There's still more openings. And so if you have not yet responded to that, I'd encourage you to think about what is it that God's calling you to be about because there is always something that can be done for the kingdom not everybody can trim bushes. Not everyone has the gift to, or the ability to teach Sunday school classes, but almost everybody can pray. Pray at home, pray wherever you, you might be for the various needs. Are you doing that, praying on behalf of the church? There's always something that can be done for the kingdom, and if you're not yet in a, in a role in, in this church, Calvary Baptist, I encourage you to seek God's leading and prompting and direction in that. So that's the first thing. Uh, that I hope it will take away is the recognition that we need to, to seek God's leading as we look to that place where we can plug in in the life of the church. The second thing is, is this, that when we don't understand God's ways, that we can still trust in who he is. Now remember, God healed one person out of the hundreds that were there. That was wonderful news for the one person. But suppose you weren't that one person, Suppose you were right next to him or right behind him or right in front of him. Maybe you hadn't been there 38 years. Maybe you'd only been there 28 years, but it seemed like an awful long time to you. Maybe you thought that your ailment or your infirmity was worse than the gentleman that was was healed. Maybe you thought that you had been more faithful in your your service to God. How would you deal with seeing Jesus pick that person right beside you or or a few feet over on the other side of the pool? We've all had those times in our lives when, when we wonder why God has worked in the ways that he has. And it's so easy for us in, in those moments to forget who God is. And yet my, my prayer for you is, it, is for me that when we encounter those situations that we will be reminded of who God is. We, we sang about it already this morning. We're going to close in a song that reminds us of those things. Things that I've seen in my, with my own eyes, things that I've experienced in my own life, things that I've seen God do in your midst, demonstration of God's compassion and his graciousness and his forgiveness and his extraordinary wisdom of his loving heart and his uh, generous nature and of his patience. Oh, how I thank God for his patience. And because I know these things about God, even when I don't understand why things have happened in my life or, or the lives of those close to me, I still have faith and trust in him, unwavering, unshakable trust in him. We began by asking the question um, that we sometimes deal with. When, when things don't go well, we say, why me, God? But do you ever say to God when things go right, why me? Why, God, have you chosen to bless me? Maybe you're the one that got well more quickly than the others who were were sick. You're the one that that recovered first. You pause and say, God, why why did you bless me? I don't deserve it. Why did you bless me? Uh, Maybe you're the one that applied for a job and you knew you didn't have a chance of getting that position, and yet somehow you're the one that was hired. Did you ever ask, why God me? Why is your hand of favor rested upon me? Why have you, you chosen this day to bless me or to protect me or to guide me? We know that we're not entitled to it. Why, God, have you done that? This past week, I had a situation where I was visiting an individual in a care facility. And um, this care facility is, is located kind of at the apex of a curve in the road. And so it's really hard to see the cars as they're coming around that corner. Now, uh, if you're following the traffic, uh, the speed limit, it's not so bad, but um, that's not always the case. And so uh, normally when I leave this particular facility, I wait and I wait and I wait, and then I lose my patience um, because I have to get somewhere else, and I punch it. And every other time there's been no other vehicle coming, and it's worked out just fine. But this past week, there was a vehicle coming, and they were coming really fast. So I punched it, I pulled out, they came around, they swerved, I swerved, and in a way that um, I I don't know how it happened, we did not have a wreck. I can't honestly say that I remember saying the statement, why me, God, but I did say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your hand being upon me. I deserved to be in a wreck. I should have uh, been rearranging my my vehicle at this point, but... God, in his goodness, for reasons I don't understand, spared me in the midst of that. And so my hope is that, that in life, um, you'll think about why me from a different perspective in the future. Why me, God? Why have you blessed me with such a great family? Why do I have such a good job? Why do I have such a, a loving spouse? Why do I live in such a, a free country? Why? 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 Because we don't deserve it, folks. We, we can't ever earn God's blessings. We can't ever buy God's blessings. The the blessings we receive are simply a gift of his graciously bestowed upon us. And so my hope is, as we leave here in just a couple minutes, you'll leave with a a couple of thoughts. One, that you'll look to God to lead you to where he wants you to be. There is a place for you in the work of his kingdom. Maybe it's Gideon's. Uh, They need lots of new people to be a part of that. We have plenty of openings here at Calvary as well. Where is it that God wants you to plug in, in the work of his kingdom? Seek his leading, his discernment, as Jesus himself did. And second, when, when God works in ways that we don't understand, trust him. Uh, trust him because of uh, not only. <laughs> uh, there we go. Trust Him. Trust Him because of what we've experienced in our lives. Trust Him because of what we've seen in the lives of others. Trust Him because of the promises that we find in His Word. Let me close with uh, just a couple of passages. These come from individuals that had good days and bad days and yet um, had a remarkable perspective in regards to God. The first one comes from a guy named David. David. David started as a shepherd, ended up becoming a king, um, was pursued for a season by the preceding king for, uh, for no reason, no fault of his own, had some very hard seasons in his life. But this is what David says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do those words sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out, By day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, and that's sort of the key word here, yet you are still enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And the second comes from a guy named Paul. Uh, Paul had been a, a Jewish uh, leader, um, had gotten a great education, um, and had his life pretty much set out, and then he encountered Jesus, literally encountered Jesus, and ended up experiencing some uh, tremendous hardships. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was scourged, he was uh, stoned in the biblical sense. He uh, had all of these these things uh, that he had to to deal with, and yet this is what he had to say. Now I know in part, but then, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. We might not always understand how or why God works the way he does in this life, but we trust in him. And we know that a day is coming, maybe later in this life, maybe not until we get to heaven, when we will understand. Understand why God blessed us in this situation. Understand why God watched over us. Understand why God chooses to love us, even though he knows us uh, for the way that we are. May God help us to live as his people. May God help us to embrace these things he has revealed to us through his word this day. Amen.